In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel. To the Lord their God. And he will go before him. In the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. May the Lord bless the preaching and the hearing of his word. Act 1, a long-awaited answer to prayer. Zechariah's story takes place approximately 400 years since the last prophet of God spoke on behalf of the Almighty God. The Jewish people were living under the conviction that God had withdrawn from them. The spirit of prophecy had ceased. They were now under the rule of Rome. All the godly in Israel were eagerly, anxiously awaiting the visitation of God. Zechariah was a priest, it says, in the, in the division of Abijah. Now, priests were required to marry an Israelite woman, but Zechariah had married Elizabeth, the daughter of of another priest in the line of Aaron. So not only an Israelite, but in the line of a priest. This would have been considered a very special blessing for Zechariah. Verse 6 tells us that both Zechariah and Elizabeth walked faithfully before God. They were righteous before him, walking blamelessly in the eyes of the Lord. Now, don't misread this to think that they were sinless. They weren't sinless. But they walked faithfully before God. They served him faithfully, and yet they had no child. They were both growing very old. Now, infertility is a devastatingly difficult topic in every age for every people. But for the people of Israel, it was seen as a sign of God's blessing on his faithful servants to give them children. And so... Them being barren, they, they would have been wondering about whether God had not just abandoned the people of Israel, but, but them personally. They would have been wondering internally if, if they had done something wrong, if they had sinned in some way. It was considered disgraceful for them. If you, if you look ahead to verse 25, Elizabeth calls it a reproach. 
a disgrace. So Zachariah's division was on duty, which they would do twice a year. They would rotate through the different divisions, and his division would be on duty twice a year. And he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and to burn incense. Now, this was a high honor. Bible commentator Leon Moore says, not only was this a great privilege, but a priest could not offer incense more than one time in their entire life. So you can appreciate that for Zachariah, this was the highest moment of his career. This was the highest moment, the highest honor that he could achieve to enter the temple and to offer incense. This was his moment. So you can imagine the, the weight and the awe. You can imagine the emotion that he was, he was filled with as he walked up the steps, as he entered the temple, as, as everyone else departed, as they walked outside to pray, and he was in there alone. And so he soberly approaches the altar of incense and he, he places the offering and he begins to intercede on behalf of God's people as the priest would do. And he looks up and he senses that he's not alone and he looks to the right of the altar next to the candlestick and there's an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord is standing there in the room, and fear came upon Zechariah. This is a holy place. He knows that he is supposed to do his duty with great trepidation and, and sobriety. And so as he sees this angel of the Lord standing there, he, he, you think of the things going through his mind. Did, did I do something wrong? Is this angel about to strike me dead in judgment? He was terrified. And so the angel of the Lord responds, as is often the case when an angel appears to people and they respond in fear. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. For your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, she will bear you a son. Now think about what just happened. Think about this moment. It has been four hundred years since God has spoken to the people of Israel and now Zechariah is in the temple and he's interceding on behalf of Israel and an angel on behalf of God shows up and appears and speaks and addresses him and he says your prayer has been heard and your wife will bear a son and, and he will go as a messenger as a forerunner ahead of the Messiah and he will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. Oh my. Think about what's going on here. Generation after generation of the people of Israel passed with the prophecies unfulfilled. Over and over again, father would grow old and he would die. And the son would grow old and he would die. And none of them were seeing God return. None of them were seeing, hearing God speak. The prophecies had ceased. And with each passing year, the excitement would fade just a little bit more. And Israel fell under the rulership of one foreign nation after another. First, it was Babylon. Then it was the Medo-Persians. And then Greece. And then Egypt. And then Syria. And finally, Rome. 400 years without a single word from God. They were wondering, has he abandoned us? Has he departed? Has he left us alone? And then in a single moment, that silence, 400 years of silence is shattered. 
it is broken by the voice of an angel to an old, childless prophet of God offering sacrifice on behalf of God's people. This is a stunning moment. Imagine the rush of emotion going through, coursing through Zechariah's veins. They've been praying their entire lives, pleading with the Lord to act, crying out for his help and his mercy. And now, not only does God send an angel, but he proclaims that his prayer had been heard. Now, it could be understandable to, to think that Zechariah is praying for a child, and maybe he was. But the, the commentators say that the aorist tense of the, of the Greek show that that, that was a prayer that had been offered, not like a continual prayer. And you think about the setting of what Zechariah was doing. He was there interceding on behalf of God's people. And so it's most likely that what Gabriel is referring to is that prayer. That God was responding to his prayer for deliverance for the people of God. That God chose that moment to intervene and then to give a further sign by granting an old barren couple a child, a son, who would come as a messenger ahead of the king, the Messiah, God's anointed one, to proclaim his arrival and prepare the way. Zechariah would have known right away this was in direct fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy in Malachi chapter 3. He would have known that by heart. He would have been eagerly anticipating that. Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't just having a child, weren't just having a son in their old age, but they were having a son who was fulfilling this prophecy. He would be great before the Lord, not great in the eyes of the world, mind you. He wasn't the king. He wasn't the fulfillment. He was the one who would go ahead. He was the one who would, who would live in obscurity, proclaiming the way. He'd be truly great living as a servant of the Most High by promoting another and then dying alone. That is true greatness in the eyes of the Lord. What we see here is the faithfulness of God who answers the prayers of his people, who uses barren old women like Elizabeth and like Sarah before her, like Hannah, who uses the weak in the eyes of the world, who uses seemingly impossible and unbelievable circumstances to demonstrate his power and his might. We can all identify with these seemingly weak and impossible circumstances. We can all look at things in our lives and think there's no way that God could change that. Verse 13, Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard, Zechariah. Think about how long had the people of God been praying? How long had an answer been delayed? What happens in us when our prayers seem to fall on deaf ears? It's in a, a long delay in an answer to prayer does not indicate that God has forgotten you. It does not indicate that he has abandoned you. It does not indicate that he is not listening. It doesn't mean that the Lord is angry with you or even, even that your desire is necessarily wrong. How many times do you think that Zachariah wondered if he was praying in vain? How much do you think he was given to abandon his hope? What we see here is that the Father, he sees our need. He does answer our prayers. And he has a plan to deliver us. It doesn't always look exactly like what we think it might look like. 
but he has a plan and he can be trusted. This story of Zechariah is here to teach us to trust in him in both the good times and especially in the hard. Have you ever found yourself wondering, where is God in the midst of this dark season? Does God see my pain? Does he care about how hard this is right now? And you pray and you just don't see anything change. Have you experienced more than your share of pain, disappointment? Maybe like Zachariah and Elizabeth, you've prayed for years for children, for a spouse. And that prayer just hasn't come to fruition. Maybe you look back over the course of your life and you just see one shattered dream after another. Just hasn't turned out quite the way that I thought it would at this point. The kids aren't doing as well as you'd hope. The career isn't what you thought it would be. You wonder what the point of it all really is. And God is so silent in your prayer. If that's you this morning, I want to urge you, don't give up hope. Don't listen to the whispers of doubt that plague your heart at times. Don't give in to the temptation to despair, wondering if God has abandoned you. He has not abandoned his people. When God sent his angel, Gabriel, to speak to Zechariah, he wasn't simply or even primarily answering his prayer for a child. He was doing something far greater. He had a bigger plan that he was effecting. He was letting his people know for all time, for you and me this morning, that he keeps his promises, that we can trust in him. That even when it's seemed an eternity of silence, he is still at work. He has not forgotten them. He has not forgotten you. God does not abandon his people. So settle that in your heart this morning, that we can trust in the Lord and cling to that in these dark moments. Now, in just a moment, we're going to read a section that is often referred to as Zacharias as the Benedictus as this great song, and this seems like a moment worth singing about, doesn't it? If you think about it, if you're praying and an angel of the Lord appears to you and delivers this amazing promise, not just for you personally, but for all of the people of Israel, how do you respond to me? You want to stand up and shout, hallelujah, and you want to sing and you want to dance, you want to run out and tell everyone. That's a reason to sing, isn't it? That's how you think you'd respond. Certainly, that's how you'd expect a priest who has served the Lord with faithfulness all these years to respond. Well, let's turn to Act 2 and follow along as I read, starting in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife, is abandoned, is, is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, 
I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And then he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now you would think that this was a moment to sing. When God breaks his 400 years silence and appears to you through an angel and speaks to you and delivers you this amazing promise. What incredible comfort from the angel of the Lord Fear not, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah, sing with joy, my man. Look up. God has answered. But instead, Zechariah looks at his old body. And he looks at his wife, who is aging. And he thinks, no, there's no way that this can be true. Babies aren't born to old, barren people like me and Elizabeth. He doesn't believe it. He refused to believe the angel. Zechariah doubted God's word. Zechariah says, I am an old man. Gabriel says, I am an angel who stands in the presence of God. Think about that rebuke. Zechariah demands a sign, and so Gabriel gives him a sign. It's just not the sign that Zechariah was hoping for. He struck him deaf and dumb because of his unbelief. It says here that he will be unable to speak until these things come to pass, and you know that he can't hear either, because later it says that people are having to speak to him in signs or using a writing tablet. Now, let's back up just a second and and look at the context here because our stories want to continue many verses later. But in the middle of our story is the story of the birth of Jesus. In the middle of our story, the very next section of this text interrupts the story of Zechariah with the story of Gabriel, the same angel announcing to Mary, who had not yet come together with Joseph. She was a virgin. And she was told that she would bear a son and that, she, and that he would be the savior of the world. Now, think about that impossible circumstance. And how does Mary respond? It's not in unbelief. It's not in doubt. It's not in questioning God's word, but it's in faith. Luke is a master storyteller. And so he is very intentionally juxtaposing these two stories to demonstrate the responses of faith and unbelief. You have the unbelief of Zechariah, and you have the faith, the belief of Mary. 
Luke is first showing us the unbelieving of, of example of Zechariah before putting Mary forth as an example, as the prime example of taking God at his word in unbelievable circumstances rather than doubting it in disbelief. Even a man such as Zechariah, righteous and advanced in years, meaning that he should have grown substantially in both knowing God's word but also in applying it in wisdom and in patience. Even righteous Zechariah had a hard time taking God at his word. And yet this is the point of the whole story, that you and I are to trust God who keeps his promises, who keeps his word. Even when the promise seems unbelievable and out of step with our circumstances, we are to trust him and take him at his word. If Zechariah can doubt, if Peter, you think about all these instances throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, people who doubted, and Jesus just looked at them and said, oh, why do you doubt? Why do you not believe? That's what he wants ultimately is for us to trust him. I, ran, I read this fantastic book recently by, name, by a man named Jeff Vanderstelt who declared boldly early on that everyone is an unbeliever. It's a bold <laughs> assertion. Now, he's not saying that there aren't countless people in the world who haven't been regenerated. What he's saying, rather, is that we all have places in our lives, you and I have places in our lives where we don't believe God. Listen to this quote from him. He says, there are spaces where we don't trust his word and don't believe that what he accomplished in Jesus Christ is enough to deal with our past or what we're facing in this moment or the next. We don't believe that his word is true or that his work is sufficient. We don't believe. We are unbelievers. We can all struggle with doubt and unbelief in various moments. Zechariah hadn't abandoned his faith in God. He wasn't worshiping idols. He was interceding on behalf of God's people, fulfilling what God had called him to do. And yet in this moment, he doubted. In this moment, he gave in to unbelief. I don't know about you, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that that's true in my life. Every day. Every day. Every single time I give in to any kind of sin, any moment where instead of responding humbly, I decide to respond to my pride, I'm acting on the belief that trusting God to vindicate me is not worthwhile. And instead, I need to take matters in my own hands. I need to defend myself with my own words, my own lips. We have an enemy who tries to take the words of God and twist them and cause doubt to erupt in our hearts. And they usually sound reasonable. I mean, Zachariah's unbelief was reasonable, right? He was old. His wife was old. They were barren. How could they possibly have a child? That was a reasonable doubt. Our doubts are always, almost always, reasonable. Look at this image we hear. You know that that will make you feel powerful or desired or aroused. Go ahead, take one more drink. It will make all your troubles go away. God knows this is enjoyable. He just doesn't want you to have any fun. You deserve better. 
You've worked so hard. What's wrong with a little reward? You know you need that. And if you get it, everything will change for you. Or maybe you don't deserve to go to God in prayer because you are covered in sin. Look at you. You are not like others. You are dirty. You have reason for shame. You are unredeemable. What is it for you? Where, where is it for you that you have a hard time taking God at his word and instead give in to the lies and in the doubts, the unbelief that rises up in your heart? Where do you give in to the allures of the world or our enemy over the promises of God? Listen, when, when God grants us a word of hope, we struggle to believe because there are a thousand counter-arguments that come into our mind about the difficulty of believing in that moment. Brothers and sisters, when we give in to unbelief, we rob ourselves of comfort. We weaken our knees. We deprive ourselves of strength, and we end up miserably anxious and insecure people. God has so much more for us. He deals with us patiently, in gentleness. He knows our weakness. He knows that we are but dust. And so he speaks to us. Don't, don't imagine Gabriel speaking to Zachariah in anger. He's not speaking to him in frustration. Jesus didn't rebuke Peter in anger. He said, oh, Peter, Peter, come on, buddy. I've got more for you. Gabriel is saying to Zachariah this morning, he's saying, there's more. God can be trusted. Why do you doubt? Let me show you. Let me show you. Sometimes, like with Zechariah, God disciplines his children. But he's not doing it in a punitive nature. He's not punishing Zechariah. God's discipline for his children, like a good father's discipline of his children, is redemptive. It's oriented to help, not to harm. It's not to punish, but to redeem. And that's what's going on here. Gabriel didn't, didn't discipline Zechariah to punish him, but he wanted to force him to slow down and learn to trust God. It was mercy that meted out his discipline. The Lord was gentle and patient with his faithful servant whom he loved. God loves Zechariah. He loves you. So let us learn this lesson from Zechariah. Let us not look on the difficulty and doubt God's word. Let us not give in to unbelief. Let us rather respond like Mary by, by taking God at his word, even in unbelievable moments, by believing his promises and applying them to our lives and our circumstances, our situation. Can God redeem that? Yes, he can. There is no sinner too far. That neighbor, that family member, that you just think there's no way God could save them. Yes, he can. That sin pattern, that struggle that you've, that you've worked so hard to overcome and you just keep struggling with. God can change. There is hope. Let us respond like, you remember the three men in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when, when they were threatened by Nebuchadnezzar to go into the fire. What is it they, they how did they respond? I mean, they're, they're surrounded by enemies. They're just these three guys. 
and they declared, our God is able. Our God is able. He is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will never give in to doubt and unbelief and worship your gods. They believed. They took God at his word. They knew that even in that impossible moment, God could still deliver them. This world calls us to abandon our hope in God and give in to all kinds of appealing shortcuts and to worship all kinds of idols that promise to give us pleasure and always leave us empty. If we'll, but God offers us something better if we will trust him. So God disciplines Zechariah. He strikes him deaf and dumb. Let's see, let's turn to Act 3 and see what this discipline brings about. We're going to skip ahead to verse 57, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loose, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came upon all of their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the, prophet, by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now imagine Zechariah looking to his child, this long-awaited answer to prayer. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And then Luke tells us that the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Well, here we see the fruit of the redemptive discipline of God in the life of Zechariah. And not only in his life, but notice that that fruit spilled out into the entire 
community around him? What, what happens in, to you when you see God deliver someone, when you see God answer somebody else's prayers, is that builds up your faith. Everyone who sees it is encouraged. Everyone else sees God's work and is strengthened and their hope is kindled. Well, that's what happens here. Everyone is there. The old barren Elizabeth has given birth to a son. But then something funny happens. When she tells them his name, they all question. They all have a better idea about his name. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. You know my kids' names. If you're going to name your kid something slightly unorthodox, keep it to yourself until the kid is born. Because it's harder for unkind family members to reject the name when they see this beautiful child. That's, that's free. So everyone thinks that John is the wrong name. And they made signs to Zachariah to see what does the father say because the father was, was the one who was given authority in that culture to name the child. And so he writes on a tablet, his name is John. And just like that, Zachariah's mouth is opened and his tongue was loosed. He uses his first words to bless God. Zachariah has come from doubt to faith. He has come from unbelief to belief. He has come to see that God keeps his promises. God is faithful, Zachariah proclaims. Never again will Zachariah doubt God's word. The discipline of the Lord had worked thoroughly in his heart and in his soul and in every fiber of his being. The discipline of the Lord had worked its perfect plan, and Zachariah's faith is stronger as a result. Now notice, what led to this change? What led to this change in the bolstered faith of Zechariah? Was it a sign from God? Well, an angel of the Lord had appeared, and, and that didn't do it. Have you ever prayed for a sign? And you think, well, if God would just show me this, if he would do something to show me that he's really there, then I would believe. Then I'd have hope in this moment. But it didn't happen for old righteous Zechariah. That didn't change him. Zachariah was face to face with the angel Gabriel. Gabriel wasn't just any angel. He's one of two angels who are named in the Bible. He was God's man. And that was a pretty amazing experience. And that wasn't enough to make him believe. Signs don't help us. You know what helps us is God's word. We have all that we need from God right here. We don't need an experience. We don't need to run frantically looking for something, looking for the right book or the right conference or the, or the right thing to affect our hearts. God has spoken to us through his word for all time, and we can cling to this. We can hold to this. We can trust in the God who keeps his promises. Zachariah was struck deaf and dumb for nine months, and, and so he was rendered unable to fulfill his temple service. And so what does he do? We get, we get a clue from what he sings. He was meditating on the promises of God. He was meditating on God's word. You can see that forms the lyrics of his song, of his, of his prophecy, of his benedictus. Zachariah's transformation was the result of nine months of forced silence and solitude, where he couldn't even serve God's people anymore. And so all he could do was sit there and study his word. John Piper has said 
He's written a lot on unbelief. His book, Future Grace, is one of my favorite books that helps us battle the lies of unbelief and doubt. And he says that, this is, a, this is a helpful word for those who struggle. Our unbelief, even our unbelief, cannot undo God's promises. But it does work the other way around. God's promises can undo our unbelief. Our unbelief cannot undo God's promises, but his promises can undo our unbelief. And so Zachariah opens his mouth, <coughs> and he blesses God. He utters a prophecy inspired by the Spirit of God. Zachariah sings. <coughs> what we see here is that God the Father sent a Savior to show us the tender, redeeming mercy of God <coughs> to undeserving sinners like Zachariah and like you and me. So why, why does he sing? Why does Zechariah sing? He sings because he has seen the faithfulness of God. Zechariah sings because God has visited God's people. Zechariah has experienced firsthand the tender mercy of God through his word. And so he can't help himself but to use his first words to break out in joyful adoration and bold proclamation of the faithfulness of God. Zechariah declared to everyone around him and to you and me this morning, God is faithful. He can be trusted. Do you know my glorious and trustworthy king, he says? Have you seen his strong hand of deliverance? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. The horn of salvation is the horn is the, is the you know, it's an, a frequent metaphor throughout scripture that references the power of of the animal. So the horn of salvation is Jesus. He is the power of God's salvation. He said we should be saved from our enemies. Think about the context. They're under Roman rule. They're being persecuted as God's people. And they will be saved. God will show them mercy. Tender mercy. And he will deliver them. Friends, Zechariah is calling us this morning. Luke is writing to us saying, put your trust in the God who keeps his promises. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. Have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and his power of deliverance. Trust that his promises are better than anything that this world has to offer. Everything that this world offers leaves us empty and unsatisfied. And so this morning, if you're struggling with doubt and unbelief, I just want to urge you again to, to hang on. Don't give up. Look to God and his word. Keep pressing forward. He will renew your strength. The Lord will raise you up. The spirit of God will bring you to see one day that his sovereign grace and his tender mercy will have their full effect. They have been at work in your life from before you came into existence, from before your first breath until your final exhale. God is working, friends. Zachariah came to see that God keeps his promises, that he was worthy of his trust, and he is worthy of our trust as well. In other words, Zachariah's song can be our song. These words we can utter with the same faith and belief and confidence in the same God who delivers his people. We can identify with Zachariah in that we don't deserve his mercy and we can identify with Zechariah and all the people of God throughout history 
who have longed for deliverance, who have hoped for him to answer our prayers, who have hoped for something more than this world has to offer. And God has answered our prayers. He has provided for our greatest need in fulfilling this prophecy that he sent his Messiah. He has sent the anointed one, Jesus, into this world to live the life that we are called to live. He alone is truly blameless, spotless, without sin. All of us stand guilty before God. But Jesus also, he didn't only live the life we're called to live, he also died the death that we deserve crediting his righteousness to all who put their trust and their hope in him. He took our penalty and he gave us righteousness. That is what what has been called the great and glorious exchange. So whether you're struggling this morning to believe that God can change a particular circumstance or or if if you're here and you've just never really trusted in Christ, if you've never put your hope in him, you're still... You're still trying to, to, to just crowbar your way through life and over, overcome that sin or change that circumstance. Look to Jesus. Look to God's word. Trust in him. He is at work. He is the horn of salvation for you and me. He is the power of God at work on our behalf. Let us learn to rest on these promises. Let us learn to embrace them and to sing about them as Zechariah did. But when we sing, we are, we are reminding, we are preaching to our own hearts, and we're proclaiming to one another the faithfulness of God. And that should inform the way that we sing. We, we don't just stand here and sing stoically. We don't just stand here and sing melodically. We're, we're singing with every fiber of our being that God is faithful and worthy of our trust. I just want to urge you to be persuaded of God's promises. They will never fail us. God's word is sure and worthy of our trust. Please join me in prayer before we sing. Well, Father of mercy, we thank you that you have not abandoned your people. Lord, we're We're all here this morning aware of broken dreams, aware of pain and disappointment, aware of frustration and discouragement over our own sin. We look at a world and we see brokenness everywhere. And Father, we cry out to you for deliverance. We ask, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, and deliver your people. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust as Zachariah learned to, as Mary did, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and many other saints throughout the ages have learned to trust your promises, for you do bring them to pass. You are faithful. So, Father, strengthen our faith, encourage our hearts, and smitten our souls with the sight of your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name.